0: Good morning. Good morning, my name is Mike St. Dennis, I'm the associate pastor here at All Souls. I, uh, I am, as Stephen mentioned, transitioning to take over uh, the, the youth and family ministry here at the church, but we don't have uh, another adult pastor yet, so I'm kind of continuing in that role as well. So uh, if you've got anything with teens or with adults, uh, and I'm sure I could help you out with other stuff too, but uh, I'm the guy that you're going to talk to. Uh, Last week, as many of you know, because you uh, celebrate uh, as I do, was Associate Pastor Sunday internationally, around the world. Um, But last week, after seven years of preaching on that first Sunday of the year, uh, Stephen decided that he wanted to get up front instead, And, and so now I just got bumped to this week and it's been quite a week, so we'll, just, we'll see how this goes together this morning. In 1969, the world was forever changed, uh, for the better, I would say, when a ragtag gang of teenagers with a propensity for splitting up joined together to form a detective agency alongside their talking and toking Great Dane named Scooby-Doo. 343 episodes later, over 500 villains were caught and delivered over to justice. And the climax of every episode came, went through all kinds of fault of their own. The villains were finally apprehended and the gang gathered together to pull off the mask and reveal who the perpetrator was. And I would submit to you that in all literature throughout the ages, all television and movies, in our own stories, and even in sports, that everything has been shaped by that dynamic, the unmasking, the big reveal, pioneered by the Mystery Inc. detective agency. If you've ever watched HGTV, whether Property Brothers or Love It or List It or Flea Market Flip, all of these stories building the drama, big reveal at the end. If you've ever seen the World Cup, if you've ever read a book over and over again, stories unfolding before our eyes, waiting for that missing piece to come in, the big reveal, to make sense out of everything that we have seen, every piece that we've seen before, and just like these stories, our lives are driven in the same way. Is either our pieces that we know of, mountaintop experiences, things we've encountered in life, the highest of heights that that carry us and satisfy us, and we find joy and pleasure and hope and direction, and then we experience the valleys and the new piece of the puzzle drama builds, and we find ourselves asking and searching and looking to find that light once again, waiting ultimately for that big reveal when everything will be brought together. The resolution, the culmination, when everything will be made right and will make sense. If you've been following along with us reading in the book of Mark, it opens with, this is the story of the good news about Jesus Christ, our Lord, the son of God. And as it goes along, we've been seeing the story unfold about who this Jesus is, getting clues and pieces about what he is like and the life that he holds within him. And it's been like a sunrise peeking up, bringing light into the darkness with each new story and detail making more sense out of the puzzle. And then last week, we we finally entered into the most pivotal section, the point on which the book turns. And not just the book of Mark, but also the gospel and each one of our lives turns on the question we looked at last week. When Jesus turns to his disciples and says, who do you say that I am? Am I everything or am I nothing? Am I part of your life or am I your life? Who do you say that I am? Peter has been following along in the story and he hazards a guess. He says, you are the Messiah. And then like, Like we do, Peter, immediately after making this profession and this big reveal that Jesus is the Messiah, then Jesus goes on to teach, I'm the Messiah, listen to me, and I will suffer and die to bring you life. At which point, Peter loses the plot. He takes Jesus aside to rebuke him, revealing that that Peter maybe has other ideas, other goals, other aspirations in mind. Our life follows similar peaks and valleys, mountaintop experiences where we get things right and we see our life and the world around us with some shape and some order and hope and direction only immediately to find ourselves down in a valley. We've lost the plot in the story. We don't know where to go or how long we're going to be where we're at. And then after that profession, as we'll see this morning, Jesus takes his disciples, uh, Peter, James, and John, and leads them up on a mountain to show him and reveal to them who he really is. And as this sunrise is dawning and bringing its light into the darkness, finally, for a moment, all the lights are going to come on and all will be revealed. And so the invitation to us this morning, whether on a mountaintop high or lost down in the valley, is to follow Jesus like the disciples that the light and life we need will be shown upon us to warm us and and bring our life into alignment and orbit around him that we might be delivered and satisfied, transfigured or transformed in him. If you have your Bibles or your worship guide, flip on over as Thomas comes and reads for us Mark chapter 9 verses 2 through 13.
1: one for Moses and one for Elijah. He did not know what to say. They were so frightened. Then a cloud appeared and covered them and a voice came from the cloud. This is my son whom I love. Listen to him. Suddenly when they looked around, they no longer saw anyone with them except Jesus. Jesus. Why then is it written that the Son of Man must suffer much and be rejected? But I tell you, Elijah has come, and they have done to him everything they wished, just as it is written about him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
0: The title of our sermon this morning is Mountaintop Highs. Uh, What kind of mountaintop experiences have have you had in your life? I would venture a guess to say that you've had some because you wouldn't have made it this far in life without these, these moments where the light breaks in, where the puzzle makes sense, these moments that, that fill you up and allow you to sustain the journey that you've on, moments of hope and transcendence and joy and beauty that capture your head and your heart and lead you along. Mountaintop moments where like Peter, when he says, it's good for us to be here, let's build our home here. Those moments that you just want to build your life, those moments in time you want to stop in. Moments where you feel the love and embrace of another person. Where you find a sense of purpose and calling in your life. When you use your skills and feel God's delight on you as you exercise those skills in the world. Moments of healing, moments of hope. Moments of kindness and goodness and beauty and joy. The first time you climbed a mountain in your own life. The time when you rang the bell after treatment. The time when you came in love and care for somebody back into health. The first time you ever had Mountain Dew Baja blast or heard me preach. These mountaintop transcendent moments that fill you up, encourage you, and sustain you. But you also know the moments when you come off the high down into the valley. When the light that you've seen gets blocked out by the troubles of the world in your own heart. When the darkness sets in and the warmth of the light is gone and you're wondering, begging, asking, how can I get back, back up the mountain, back into the light? Peter, James, and John travel with Jesus up this mountain and I'm fascinated by the fact that this part where Jesus transfigures and transforms before their very eyes where this light is emanating from him is such a small piece of the story. More time and attention is given to them going back down off the mountain and the things that they don't get and yet for Peter James and John, this moment, this mountaintop experience changed them forever. 30 years after this event, Peter, in his old age, soon before his death, is writing to the church to encourage and sustain them as he says himself, my time on this earth is coming to an end. And he recounts this story to them in the words of a man who has pondered this and thought about this moment of transfiguration and transformation in his life. He says, we did not follow cleverly devised stories when we told you about the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ in power, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. He received honor and glory from God the Father when the voice came to him from the majestic glory saying, this is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased and listen to him. And Peter says, we ourselves heard this voice that came from heaven when we were with him on the sacred mountain. So even though he traveled off the mountain, that mountaintop experience changed him and stayed with him. And then John recounts to the church, giving an explanation for why his life has been different, where his hope and his joy has come from. And in the first chapter of his gospel, he says, the word, the glory, the light Eternal life became flesh and made his dwelling to tabernacle among us. And we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Peter, James, and John went to that mountain and saw Jesus transfigured, which means transformed, and their lives were transformed as a result of it. It's not that they then didn't experience lows in the valleys, Peter rebuking Jesus, Peter denying Jesus, but over and over again, what grounded them and brought them back into the warmth and the light of life was coming back to this Jesus, to look upon him, to gaze upon him and allow his light to warm and transform them. As we look at our passage this morning, I just want to talk about two questions. The first is, what exactly is going on in this, this story? And then two, what does it mean for us? This is a weird story. It doesn't fit our modern experiences. I have yet to have anyone come and tell me they saw any being transfigured right in front of them but we all know these mountaintop experiences like these men had that shape and changes and we're left never the same. So what's happening in this passage? What did they see? Look at verses two through four again. After six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John with him and he led them up a high mountain where they were all alone. There he was transfigured before them His clothes became dazzling white, whiter than anyone in the world could bleach them. And there appeared before them Elijah and Moses who were talking with Jesus. They followed Jesus up to a mountaintop like they had done time and time again. If you know anything about Jesus, he likes to get on the mountainside or the mountaintop and they're following him around and they go up on the mountaintop. But this time something is different in a moment. Jesus is transformed. A radiant light emanates from him. White garments, whiter than anyone could bleach. In the first century, where people walked around in the dirt and the filth, and there wasn't such thing as white garments, only white garments with dirt on them. Instead, this light transforms and emanates from him. And not only that, but they are no longer alone. For Moses and Elijah, prophets and leaders from the Old Testament, who had long been gone, now appear with him, talking with him. Every sermon you'll ever hear about this and every commentary or book you could read points out that Moses and Elijah here represent the Old Testament, the law which was given through Moses and the prophets. That Moses and Elijah, along with David and others, were these leaders of the people and the two that all the people of Israel looked to and hearken back to the days of their leadership. And here they are in the presence of Jesus. And what scholars point out is that this is a picture of affirmation. That all of the history of the world up until that point, And the history of God's interaction with the people is met and fulfilled in Jesus. The work of Moses and Elijah has come to an end. And now all that stands is Jesus. Every story, every big reveal, every hurt, every pain, every hope, every miracle, every mountaintop, everything was leading them, just like us, to Jesus on this mountaintop. But there's something else going on here as well. Something that the first century audience would have understood. Something that Peter, James, and John would have known as well. And it's the stories of Moses and Elijah. Each of them were called by God to a task, a calling, one that they didn't choose or want or desire, but ones that that they felt led to, to to love and lead and care for and speak for God, to reflect his goodness into the world. And at times they were carried by miraculous moments and events, and at other times they were burned out, brought low, encountered the darkness, and the light was gone. Moses comes first after leading the people out of Egypt and experiencing the miracle of the plagues that were there and the burning bush and the parting of the Red Sea. He experiences manna and quail from heaven to sustain the people. He's been on the mountaintop before to see the glory cloud there. And then again, this time, God is inviting him and calling him to lead the people into the promised land. And these stubborn and stiff-necked people, Moses says, I can't trust you, God, that you're going to do it. I won't participate and I won't go unless you show me your glory. And God says to him, no one can look upon my glory and live. I cannot show you my face, but here's what I'll do. I'll lead you up the mountain and I'll hide you in the cleft of the rock and I will allow my glory to pass by and just the entrails of it will shine upon you. And as they do, Moses is transfigured. The form of his life is changed as he walks back down off the mountain and his face was glowing with the glory of God. Similarly, Elijah, centuries later, finds himself desperate and weary and worn out. Sent as a prophet to the people of God to declare their sin to them and to declare repentance that they would turn back and follow and obey God as the king and the queen have practiced wickedness and turned the nation against God. And as he goes, time and again, he's suffering persecution, even though he's experienced miracles from heaven. He's finally on the run for his life, and he prays, Father, kill me. I have seen your mountaintops. I have been there before. I have seen your glory, but I am empty and broken. To which God replies, by allowing him to fall asleep. Friends, sometimes the darkness that we encounter, we need a nap. We just need to rest. We just can't keep going at the pace that we're doing. It's not that God isn't there. It's, it is that we can't see him, but maybe we can't see him because we just need to slow down and lay down. And as he's sleeping, an angel appears to Elijah and says to him, Arise, wake, and eat. And, friends, sometimes we lose sight of God's light in the darkness because we're hungry or hangry. And sometimes we just need to have a little feast. But after he eats his fill, The angel leads him up and sends him on a journey 40 days and 40 nights back to the same mountain where Moses saw the glory. And as he gets to the top of the glory, a great earthquake comes and a great fire and a tornado and a great wind. And they all pass by, but God's glory wasn't in it. This time God's glory appears as a voice speaks to him in the sound of silence, in a whisper. And at that moment... Elijah gets up from this valley of darkness that he has been in. In seeing and feeling the glory, he is raised up and he goes back on mission. Back to the calling that God had for him. Like Elijah and Moses, like Peter, James, and John, friends, you and I will have moments where the life that God has called us to, to love and care for those around us, whether in our own home or our own family of origin or our culture or our church or our, our neighbors or even our strangers and enemies, where God has called us to live into his light, in his life, and we will find it impossible to do so. The darkness will overwhelm us. The terror and the cloud of all that we are meant for will come and impress upon us. And surely like these men, we will have the mountaintop experiences where God leads us up mountains we would rather not go and comes to us in ways we could not have predicted and gives us a glimpse, a piece of his glory to sustain us and to lead us on with the hope and the reminder that the story is not over yet. What are those dark places in your life The dark places of pain, of doubt, of fear or apathy. The places where you're wrestling with the pain of your own sin and brokenness or the sin and brokenness of others perpetrated on you or on the world around us. Where do you find yourself in those darkness, those dark places? Friends, can you remember the mountaintops? the moments, those pieces that sustain us and give us life. Everything that else could be said about the passage, every other story it's connected to, every other implication, every other reference point, everything is just settled at this claim. That Jesus, the God-man, goes up on the mountain and is transformed. And all the leaders and all the stories and everything that was before is made uh, perfect and whole in him and fulfilled in him. And the light doesn't just shine on him, it shines from him. And the claim here is that he is the very face of God, that we might behold him and be transformed. And no more background information on this passage is going to help us to see that. We've got to go and we've got to look. Whether that's up the mountain or into the valley. So what I want to suggest as we, as we turn to this second question, what does this all mean for us? Is that by exploring and practicing in faith and trying on the implications of this message... God might lead us up that mountain to sustain and fill us once again. There's four applications for this text. Or maybe there's three. We'll find out together. (laughs) The first is to draw near to Jesus. Like the moon to check our orbit. The second is to be a rock. A rock among the rocks. And then finally to go with Jesus both up and down the mountain. This first part, drawing near to Jesus. When Moses asked to see God's glory, like we said before, God says, no one can look upon the face of God and live. You cannot handle this glory in the midst of your brokenness and your pain and your longings. You cannot see and make sense out of my glory and the fullness of it. And so God only shows him a piece of it. And everywhere throughout the Old Testament, anytime God shows up, trouble is happening. The claim over and over again is caution. Do not draw near. It will kill you. Peter, in the abundance of his joy, saying we should live here and make this our home immediately. The parenthetical comment is he didn't know what to say and he was terrified because he knew the warnings that nobody can draw near to God and live. And yet Hebrews 1 explains what's happening here to us when it says Jesus is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. As Peter, James, and John look into the face of Jesus just as we do, We are not looking at a mere reflection of God, but we are looking at the whole of the glory that builds the universe in Jesus, veiled in flesh, the Godhead see. Hail the incarnate deity. The fullness of our hope and our longings and our goodness, uh, the fullness of holiness and power and justice and might, the fullness of all of that contained in Jesus so that we can have a face that when we look at and come to, we won't die but rather we would live. I want to make the point here in the, the image of, that we are, we're called to be the moon, but with a different orbit. I was homeschooled and I didn't take astronomy, and I got it wrong in the first, the first service, but the moon orbits around the earth. I got it. And the moon lights up our sky and our lives in these dark nights, right? But the light doesn't come from the moon. The light, when it is in view of the sun, radiates the warmth and the light to cast out the shadows and to lead us along in the midst of the darkness. The moon is not the source of light, but reflects it. And then there are times when the night grows dark where the the moon grows cold because the weight of the world gets in the way. Friends, our lives orbit around the ways of the world, the patterns of our own stories with the ups and the downs, the pattern of the stories of the people around us, their well-being, their fruitfulness, and their struggles and pain The pattern of the world around us as Julie prayed for the brokenness in our country and in the world, the violence that is there, the world and the weight of it keeps getting in the way. But we have had these mountaintop experiences where the sun has shined upon us to light us up and that light would come in us and come out of us to the world in need around us. And if we want to live In that light, and the warmth of it, we've gotta check our orbits. This week, this month, this year or your lifetime. What does your heart and your mind, what do they orbit around? What are they full of? What are they consumed by? Where are they looking for life and for light? to overcome and make up for your failures and your darkness, to overcome, empower, and fix the problems in the world around you. Our lives orbit around the patterns of the world, and in them we encounter darkness over and over again. But the invitation and what I want to suggest to you in this new year is that you would orbit around the one who can change your life the one who can shine his light and his life into you, the one who can warm your heart, the one who can deliver you, who can cast the shadows out to orbit your life around him. And just like Peter has these moments where he sees it and he gets it, there will still be times when the world gets back in the way. And the invitation is to come back and come back, but not just to come alone. This is our second application. Be a rock. You are, without a doubt, a blunt object. Your heart and your heads are dense, probably not as dense as mine, but are dense. You've got sharp edges and when you get close to others, might have a tendency to ruffle and hurt. You've encountered rocks bigger than you and sharper than you that have done damage to you as well. But the invitation is to come and to be rocks together. Not only do I not know anything about astronomy, but I've never been to a desert. The only wildernesses I've traveled to are the ones you can get to and back from in less than an hour, and there's a quick trip in between. But I've watched plenty of Bear Grylls. And Alone on History Channel is one of my favorites. And I know that there are times and places that you go where the darkness comes and warmth is lost and it is life-threatening to you. And what these shows have taught me is that when that happens, build your life among the rocks, the other sharp and blunt objects. Because these rocks are built just like the moon to receive the warmth and the light of the sun and to radiate it back. They are not the source of the light, but they are a source of warmth when the light has come into them. Earlier, just before, when the passage opens six days after these events, this transfiguration happens, eight days before these events happen. As as Jesus is with his disciples and asks them the question, who do you say that I am? They answer, Peter says, you are the Messiah. And in other gospels, Jesus says to him, Peter, which means rock, you are the rock. And on this rock I will build my church and remake the world. And the rock is not Peter because we know that he's a stone and a pebble that gets thrown here and there. But the rock is the profession that Jesus is the light. That when we come together and gather together with those who have received that light, we are warmed. Even when the weight of the world is obscuring us. When the pain and the darkness is at hand when we find ourselves in the valley and not the mountaintop, in the desert, in the wilderness. We orbit our lives around Jesus, the light, but we can't do it alone. Like Jesus, James and John, they gather together, they see this experience, they're sharing it together and they're piecing it out and working it out. I've been here now, this is the start of 12 years. And I have seen tremendous darkness in this church. Just the last couple of years, patterns of death coming in over and over and over again. Pain that comes in to break up marriages, to lead children astray, the the pain of financial ruin, of physical and literal death, all kinds of things. Over and over again, the darkness has cast its shadow here. And for 11 years, I've seen transfigurations where God's light has come in to warm the cold and dead places in this world to shine its light and bring us to life. And he has done that when we've come into the light and be warmed by him and by the others that he has sent to us. And that is the call and the pattern he invites us into to orbit around him, to be rocks among rocks, and finally to follow him up and down the mountain. Peter suggests that we pitch our tents and stay here on the mountain. And almost immediately, they're overwhelmed by the cloud. And when it leaves and Jesus is alone, Jesus leads them back down the mountain. And the most curious thing happens when this life-altering, transcended, breaking the laws of physics and biology moment happens in the world. Jesus says to them, don't tell anybody yet until the Son of Man rises from the dead. You see, this transfiguration and this big reveal on the mountain, when Jesus is dis- on display, the glory of God in a face we can see that is not the highest mountain. The highest mountain is when Jesus enters into the valley of the shadow of death. When he empties himself of the warmth of the Father. As the song goes, the Father turns his face away and the light of the Father doesn't just turn from Jesus, it turns to you. That Because of his sacrifice and pain and emptying of himself, that the light of Jesus would be upon you to make you whole and to lift you up, to warm your heart and to transform this world. In the deepest valley of Jesus' life, we are raised to the highest mountaintops. So whether we find ourselves on high or down low, we would know that he is with us, that his light shines, that the darkness might shine, but it will not overcome us. The light will shine in the darkness. As we close, I want to read this picture to you From The Lord of the Rings, The Return of the King, a story of uh, of darkness and moments of light, mountaintop experiences and valleys low. As the two characters, the two heroes are leading along to save and deliver the world, we read this story. At last, Frodo could not go any further. They climbed up a narrow shelving ravine, but still they had a long way to go before they could even come in sight of the last craggy ridge. And as Frodo went to sleep, Sam struggled with his own weariness. The land seemed full of creaking and cracking and sly noises, but there was no sound of voice or a foot. And far above, the night sky was still dim and pale. There peeping among the cloud rack above a dark, Sam saw a star twinkling above. The radiant beauty of it smote and struck his heart as he looked up out on the forsaken land and looked up out of that place and hope finally returned to him. For like a shaft clear and cold, the thought pierced him that in the end, the shadow was only a small passing thing. But there was light and high beauty forever beyond its reach. And now for a moment, his own fate and that of his masters ceased to trouble him. And putting away all fear, he cast himself into a deep, untroubled sleep. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. There are mountaintop moments that have sustained us and carried us along. And there is darkness that says that, that those experiences can't stand up, and yet we hold on hope and we gather together because that warmth and that light that was the light and life of mankind has shown and been revealed to us. That we might rest in an untroubled sleep in it and be made alive anew. Would you pray with me? God, each of us could name dark places. We've been naming them. We've been gathering together to see. We've we've come together to say time and time again that we have lost sight of the light. And God, where are you in the midst of this? And we thank you, God, that you have welcomed us and you are there. And Lord, you know my brothers and sisters that are here and in desperate need of that light and that warmth to come. So we pray, God, that the dawn would break, that you would restore and heal the people walking in darkness, that the light would triumph and scatter the shadows, that your transformed self in the very face of God would transform us and those that we love for your glory, and for our joy. In Jesus' match this name we pray, amen.